Welcome back to the Sweat It Out podcast. Today's episode, we have Precision Nutrition's Head of Community Engagement and a PN Master Coach. She holds a BA in Psychology from the University of Waterloo and a Master's Degree in Social and Personality Psychology from York University. She also received additional training in trauma, motivational interviewing, and cognitive behavioral therapy. We have a special guest today. We want you guys to help us welcome to the podcast, Kate Solovioga. It's time to sweat it out with Anthony Mendez and Josh Evans. Welcome back to the Sweat It Out podcast. Today we have an absolutely amazing guest coming all the way from our neighbor in the north. Woo. We have the head of community engagement for Precision Nutrition. She's a PN master coach and also holds a BA in psychology from the University of Waterloo and a master's degree in social and personality psychology from York University. She also received additional training in trauma, motivational interviewing, and cognitive behavioral therapy. We want to welcome to the podcast today, Kate Soloviva. Did I say that right? No, but that's I, kind of a, a thing. This is how we start old podcasts, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm horrible. I'm horrible with names. I'll never forget a face, but I'm the worst with names. When it comes they butcher my last name. We go through this little spiel, and then we get into interviews. So I, I'm used to the podcast. All right, perfect. So how, I don't want to butcher it again. How do we pronounce your last name? Okay. It's uh, Salaviova. One more time, a little slower. Salaviova. Salaviova. That's not bad. Well, this is why folks call me Solo, right? Because it's just like, Ooh, like short that. and sweet. So. All right, perfect. We'll, 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 I'll stick with that. I don't know. Well, maybe we'll give the, we'll give the, uh, the Latin and our, our dynamic duo here the, the opportunity. But thank you for coming on. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Um, you know, we get a ton of questions all the time about, you know, nutrition and, and, you know, how to kind of go about, uh, you know, handling it. And obviously it's a, it's much more of a mental struggle than, than most people think. And, and I've obviously been a huge fan of, of the company you work for precision nutrition. Uh, I'm certified as a level one coach myself. Uh, I u- utilize it with uh, my own clients. I use PN coach with my online clients. So huge advocate of everything that you guys are doing there. Uh, up in Canada, and and uh, I'm really excited. Uh, I know Anthony can say oh, the yeah. same thing uh, to kind of dive in and, and pick your brain a little bit. Let's do it. So, you know, how did you get your start? Uh, you know, in this whole behavioral change therapy. Um, I think. I guess it depends how far back we want to go. Because at some point, I really thought I wanted to become a professor. Uh, so that's where kind of grad school came in. I really liked learning. Uh, I really enjoyed university and I didn't really know how to do anything else. So I figured, you know, if I just keep going to school, uh, <laughs> I, can, I can keep doing that for an indefinite amount of time. Uh, but something shifted in grad school for me um, where I started feeling a little bit of a disconnect between like the theory and the practice, because it truly felt like we were out there somewhere locked up in the library doing a thing while, you know, the real people were out there somewhere. So that disconnect between theory and practice uh, really kind of started hitting me hard. And um, 
uh, I ended up actually leaving graduate school after master's degree instead of continuing on to pursue my doctorate at that point. And I started teaching at a college university level. So I taught psychology. I taught in um, special programs, like professional programs for nurses, massage therapists, uh, police foundations. These are the programs that um, police officers uh, would start their education with. It's a very diverse population, but we talked about the common principles of behavioral change and psychology. uh, And I loved how applicable it was and how passionate the students were about learning something in their textbook and then being able to take that and do the thing in their life and to actually see a change. So I started ever so slowly incorporating um, healthy behaviors and healthy changes into the course curriculum in any way I could. I remember like really stretching it, like how can we make this into assignment? How can we make it into a course project? Uh, We would have um, an assignment for some of my courses that were called like try something new assignment where we would have to like identify something new and like try it and write about it. Uh, There was a 30-day behavioral change assignments that I would have students do as their like term project where they would, with my help, I would coach them through identifying a specific behavioral change. And for 30 days in a row, they would either eat a certain number of vegetables or they would work out or they would uh, try and quit smoking. And it was always just so mind blowing how, what an impact that had. And it was mind blowing for me and for them. Uh, where we would talk after, we'd do like a little debrief where they would write up their experiences and the assignment. And the common theme has always been, miss, they would say, miss, like, you know, totally knew that this would make a difference. Like if I focused on my sleep a little bit more, if I improved my nutrition a little bit more, I knew I would feel better. Like everybody knows that. But there was a difference between knowing it and knowing it. Mm-hmm. And to actually feel it on their skin was just a completely different experience. They said, I knew it would make a difference. I didn't realize how much of a difference it would make. And that was just really rewarding. So I think I just wanted to do more of that. And uh, so from, from teaching at a college university level, I think I shifted towards more health coaching because, uh, again, in academia, I, I really had to try and kind of force it, right? I, I needed to find little places where I could sneak that stuff in. And uh, I figured, well, that's the part that I really enjoy most. So I think I would rather just do that. And that's what I've been doing since. And, you know, there there's something about digestible, actionable items and and how easy it is or, you know, how much easier it is for people to be able to accomplish the tasks that you're giving them, right? The actions that you're giving them compared to looking at, you know, oh, I have to lose 25 pounds or kind of like, it's like eating the elephant, right? It's easier to do it one bite at a time than look at the whole thing and think like, oh, okay, I have to, and no pun intended, the fact that we're talking about nutrition and, and eating the elephant, but, um, you know, it, it does kind of get scary and overwhelming for people when they look at it on such a global scale of like oh, a number thing or, or a very tangible thing. But when you can break it down into doing things like drinking more water on a daily basis or, you know, even like taking uh, a five minute action to to think about yourself for a second instead of just going through these these daily life uh, activities that we have to do, you know, 
when you were working with your students, you said that it was like a huge change for them. What changes did, were you able to see with them, uh, compared to, you know, just kind of telling them like, okay, well, you knew that this was good for you. How come you weren't doing it? Yeah, I think in you, you talk about the small actionable items, right? And I kind of call myself, I'm like the queen of pathetic goals. Right? <laughs> I mean that in, in the best way possible, right? Like how do you set your goal to be so small and so achievable? It almost seems pathetic. Mm. Um, but I do that with intention and I help my clients do that with intention because setting up a whole bunch of small quote unquote pathetic goals and then achieving them one by one by one by one by one creates a momentum. It creates this continuum of small things of motivation and sense of accomplishment that continues to push you forward. And before you know it, you set goals that are a tiny bit bigger, a tiny bit bigger. You don't really notice it. It's like, you know, getting into running. You know, my running journey has been very linear from that perspective. You're like, ooh, like, I wonder if I could run a 5K. And you're thinking, well, you know, like I'm sort of fit, sort of healthy. Like how long does a 5K take, right? And you kind of look it up and you're like, okay, maybe 25 minutes if you're fit and athletic, like maybe 45 if you're a little bit slower. But between 25 and 45, a lot of people can complete a 5K. Well, surely I I can do that, but you're still not sure because you haven't done it ever. So you sign up for the 5k and then you do it and you're like, Hey, I did a thing. Right. And immediately there is that, huh? I wonder if I can do a 10k. Right. And before you know it, you do a 5k, a 10k, a half marathon, a full marathon, an ultra marathon. Then you're doing, you know, a crazy event that lasts 60 hours in a jungle somewhere. Um, not that everybody goes all the way down to the end of that continuum, <laughs> But that's sort of the idea, right? Like we sort of start small and we keep going small rather than starting with this big overwhelming thing. Like the goal you gave an example, like I want to lose 25 pounds or imagine I want to lose hundred pounds because not only it's really big and overwhelming, but the other thing is, and um, I don't know, I hope I'm not alone here when I say it, weight loss is kind of boring. Like there isn't really anything inherently rewarding about losing 25 pounds or 50. It's more about what that weight loss means, what it allows you to do. Um, I remember talking to a client who really wanted to go uh, she really wanted to go. It wasn't bungee jumping. It was uh, like jumping with a parachute. She wanted to jump out of a plane, right? Um, there was a very specific weight limit on that. Like you had to be under 250 pounds and she wasn't, right? So that represents something very tangible, very specific, exciting, awesome. And it's really just kind of brings that fire to otherwise a fairly abstract goal. So that's, I think what I, what I really love about like the, the smallness of the pieces, because it's with those small pieces, you pave the road to something really cool. And by really cool, I don't mean this once again, fairly vague, I want a long, healthy life. Like, I don't know what that means, right? I don't, I don't really want a long, healthy life just for the sake of it. Like, <laughs> I want to be doing things. Yeah. 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 Like, exactly. what do I do with a long, healthy life? Right. Like, do I, am I able to hike through the desert? Am I able to, um, I don't know, ride a lion? Like, like what, what are you into? Yep. Right. Like, so whether it's traveling or doing some crazy endurance event or having, you know, 12 kids and raising a big family, 
that's really what where long healthy life becomes meaningful so it's really helping each individual person figure out what that entails and helping them get there well, i think off the bat you know like you said you know your client tying the parachuting with now achieving that goal it's when you tie that emotion behind it you know you put this emotional goal or there's something that you want to achieve or you really want so badly um and when you put that in place that's really what you figure out that drives your you know client or yourself to be able to go and do that and make that happen you know and then obviously those those little obtainable goals that you set yourself up you eventually can get there um i wanted to dive into a little bit about this time period that we're in and i wanted to kind of see from your end have you seen a huge difference in the behavioral changes in the way maybe some of your clients or other people that you know you've spoken of have changed from pre-covid to now into when we are in covid obviously it's it's dragging on but have you seen changes um have you seen new nuances come out of this um and and what's your what's your perspective with where things are going and how to handle people especially with this whole situation that we're in yeah that's such a, i was going to say is there something going on in 2020 what's going on? <laughs> what hasn't killer bees hornet right? you know mur <laughs> murder hornets <laughs> more hurricanes than we know what to do with oh jeez <laughs> If there's ever been a year when you're like a little afraid to check the news, it's unreal. Like, no. It's unreal. Like, yeah, what, I know. what is it now? Just like what it, uh, but I think that is such a fantastic question. And I think not, not enough people maybe ask it. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful you brought that up. Um, I find that there's been these, these waves and uh, I see introverts and extroverts, if you'll allow me that division, right? And again, some folks kind of fall somewhere in between, but if we were to roughly uh, consider folks who tend to thrive on interaction with others and uh, others who thrive a bit more on time alone, where interaction with others tends to drain them. What I'm seeing is this very interesting split because 2020 has had a much more immediate impact on extroverts. Because right away, right, like lockdown, don't touch people, don't talk to people, don't go out, right? And I'm an extrovert. I don't know if you can tell, right? Like sort of <laughs> community engagement. For like me, I, it was I, definitely a knockoff because I'm always doing events and was meeting people, networking. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's a tough one. And it kind of hits you right away, right? Like I, I'm a hugger. I touch people like that's, uh, that's a big piece for me. So for me, that's been a very difficult and a very immediate shift. What I'm finding is that the impact for introverts is actually more delayed because you see at the very beginning, the introverts were like, ha, you know, I do this lockdown thing every day. Like nothing has changed for me. Um, but now there were months into it, you actually do see um, an impact. And for introverts, the impact has been more around losing this unnoticeable yet very real casual social contact, which is important. It's that like human piece, right? So in, and it's not that, ooh, like I'm not going out to parties and concerts as an introvert, but as an introvert, I might be commuting to work and every day I go get a coffee and it's the same barista and we kind of do a little hello, right? And how are the kids? Because it's the same person, same time. Uh, and you add to that um, a person maybe in the office kitchen, uh, all those little tiny interactions, they actually add up. 
for introverts where it's enough. And now all of that has been taken away, right? And that tends to, to have that sort of delayed impact. So now that we're seven, eight months, however long it's been, the longest year of our lives, um, right into it, what I'm finding is with clients, yes, there are a lot of changes and there are changes on the surface to our like daily routines. And again, especially in the beginning, you're like, ooh, like all of a sudden people are working from home overnight. That's a big adjustment because people who are not used to working from home and having this kind of access to food, the fridge, the kitchen. Oh yeah, um, you're looking at one. <laughs> that's different. Like I struggled a little bit with the sort of accessibility of food, right? Like, so, or even things like maybe my gym is shut down. So how do I work out from home? Like I, I've been working from home for the last seven years and for an extrovert, that is difficult. So I've always said, I will work out from home when hell freezes over. Right? <laughs> and then here we are. So hell froze over. So I had to work, figure that out. Right. But I do find that things like, I'm eating more or I'm eating less or I'm trying to figure out how to exercise at home. Those are changes, but they're more superficial changes where on a deeper level, there are these themes that come up for people where I'm finding more and more where I'm assisting people uh, with mood regulation. Right, like much more so than ever before. So just sort of more high level managing of the mental health, managing of um, just the stress and the ask on them. Um, women have been hit by COVID disproportionately uh, for a couple of reasons, childcare being a really big one, right? Like even in, in my own family, it's been interesting because my spouse and I, we have um, very equitable kind of parenting roles, but he works in landscaping and I work from home. So when we were both working um, and we have a toddler, I can't exactly send a toddler on a construction site, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but I can sort of bounce a toddler on my knee when I'm in a zoom kind of, mm -hmm. right. And not exactly high quality work. So here you go, kind of a prime example of how invariably like one way or another, many women have been impacted by like this crazy kerfuffle shuffle thing more so. Right. So, um, so it's the mood regulation. It's the stress management is just like the general cognitive load of everything that's been happening. And another thing that's kind of underlying, and I feel like we haven't talked about it yet. Maybe we're not there yet. It's the collective grief around all the things lost, right? Like, uh, I know personally, like, I haven't thought about it too hard because I don't know if I can yet. Like, it just seems too big, right? Like, it's it's like all the things that have happened and how different the world is where you kind of notice yourself watching Netflix and you're like, holy moly, that, there's a whole lot of people at that bar all close together, yeah. rubbing yeah. against each other. Like, right. And there is this like kind of weirdness, but at the same time longing when you're like, remember when we were able to do that, when are we going to be able to do that again? Right. So those are kind of the big mental health things that I'm seeing pop up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, and I think it's more of a, a growing understanding within inside of the, the overall health and wellness sphere, right. As a uh, field is that 
understanding uh, in, of the role that stress plays, right, and, and the triggers that cause it and the emotions that it brings upon. And I, I really have been finding that it's like, a, at least with the people I work with, that there is a, a real big disconnect between the the stress mechanisms in the body and what causes those stressors and the actions that people take following the stress, right? So how do you get people to understand that the two are actually intertwined? Like you're going to go through this experience, traumatic or not traumatic. I mean, we're talking about the cold, right? Um, and then that leads you to make a certain action in your life. So how do you get people to understand that the two are actually, you know, one in the same and that they need to be more aware of the things that are going on throughout their day in order to be able to make it easier on themselves to make the choices that they need to make in order to achieve the goals that they want to achieve. Yeah. So I think there, there are kind of a couple of ways of tackling it. Right. And the big one, that's kind of where I start. I start by normalizing and reminding, right. Because sometimes, especially if you hang out um, on social media enough, especially in some corners of social media, there, there is this, building sensation in your gut that you're doing pandemic wrong and everyone's doing it better than you, right? Like at least I know I've gotten that feeling, right? They just like, everyone seems to have just kind of figured it out and they're on social media, you know, kind of pandemic policing, right? While they're baking sourdough bread. The pandemic policing. Yeah, that's a good one. We might need to steal oh, that. Yeah, from. You have a trademark. Yeah. Yeah. You know exactly what I'm referring to, right? So there is this sense, like, like I'm barely holding my shit together, right? Meanwhile, people are posting memes about finding the silver lining and learning Italian, right? Because we now have more time. So I think there is that kind of disconnect between reality and perceived reality. So I start there. I start by normalizing and reminding, by normalizing when people say, you know, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've been feeling down. I have trouble sleeping. I'm feeling anxious. I'm, and I'm kind of going, yeah, you're describing normal stress response to an incredibly stressful time. So let's just remember that because I don't know about you, but my very first global pandemic never had to live. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, you know, people say like, I'm not exercising enough or I'm eating too much. And it's like, well, how much is enough exercise during a global pandemic? Because again, I have no idea, right? Like, what <laughs> yeah. the kind yeah. of yeah, We don't have a lot of research on that. No. Yeah. All the are out of the window, right? right? Like, so that part, like they're reminding constantly that this is a unique situation. It's a hard one. And people are going to deal with that differently. So, and how it's going to impact people is going to be different. And yet where we are often caught, I think as a society, but also very much as an industry, as the health and fitness industry is that you can have the same set of circumstances impact people very differently, right? Where they are seemingly kind of doing the same thing where you could have, you know, two people be out of a job and one person is now walking more to manage their stress and another person is eating more to manage their stress. They're, they're doing the same thing. They're doing the best they can to manage their stress. Yet in one person that may actually result in like, you know, weight loss of 10 pounds. And we go, yay, yay, you, right? And another person, it might look like gaining 10 pounds. And we say, oh, well, why did you let, your, let yourself go so much, right? And again, if you kind of 
if you tune out a bit, they're both doing the best they can managing a very stressful set of circumstances, right? So normalizing and reminding. But then once we kind of get into the actual nitty gritty of the managing the day to day, um, where I start with clients is talking about the big three, right? We identify what are their big three and the three is not a magic number. It could be a big two or a big four. It just shouldn't be, you know, big 24, um, so it's a it's a small number of core practices that make a huge difference in your day. So I'll ask the two of you, when you think of the big three behaviors in your day, it's the things that if you get them done, you know that that day is more likely to be good rather than bad. And as I say that, you both nod vigorously because you kind of know what I'm talking about. So 100%. for me, yeah. The big three, they tend to be like, um, it's getting up sleep. Sleep impacts me, like lack of sleep impacts me disproportionately uh, from what I've learned compared to sort of an average person. I turn into a miserable human being Mm -hmm. if I don't sleep enough, ask my spouse. Um, Move, some sort of intentional movement is a big one for me. And uh, for me, it's also writing. I think through writing. I sort of process through writing. So between sleep, move, and write, those are the big three for me. What about you guys, Josh? What are your big three? Uh, definitely movement. I'm, I'm like an early workout person. If I don't work out at 630, like I don't get it done. And and then my, my whole day is kind of shot. It's always in the back of my head. So mo- movement for sure. Uh, reading, I, I love to read, you know, so reading is a big one for me, even if it's just like an article on my phone, at least like reading something that I, that I really enjoy. Um, and honestly quiet, like, like spending five, 10 minutes, like our, our days down here, as you know, working with clients, it can be pretty hectic and, and it does tend to weigh on you a lot. So just like, you know, five, 10 minutes of like pure silence throughout the day is, is huge for me. Awesome. I, I would say for me in the morning, what off uh, my little like, kind of morning ritual would be like, I always like to say what I'm grateful for. So I always have to do that. Um, if I, if I forget to do it, it kind of ticks me. So I always make sure I do it. Uh, so I always say what I'm grateful for and, um, some sort of movement in the morning as well before I, you know, I get my day going. Um, also another one for me would be, um, writing things down, uh, whether it's in a, in a notebook or, in my notes on my computer. Um, and as well, I always need to make sure that I spend time with, um, the fam. So the, with the family. So making sure that at least I have like, and what I mean by that, it's not just spend time where people think like, Oh, watch a movie or go do this. No, it's like literally at least a whole hour where it's just like, we're talking together. We're doing uh, an activity together, like nothing else in place. You know, it's just me, my significant significant other, my, our little one, whether it's playing with her, doing something she likes or doing something that Jenny wants to do, going for a walk outside. But we try to do that for an hour or something that I like to do all together. So to me, that's probably one of the more important ones. Well, and as the three of us just exchanged our big threes, there are two things that stick out right away. So on one hand, um, this is the self-compassion piece, right? There are some days when you objectively can't get your big three done for whatever reason, right? Your kid's sick and you're up at four instead of six. And that's your workout. And the whole day just kind of goes to hell, right? So Uh, The one thing I like to keep in mind is that for some reason, I will do everything in my power to get the big three in. But if I haven't gotten the big three in, I almost lose my right a little bit to kick myself about that day. 
right? Because it is just going to be a hard day. I don't need to make it any harder to, you know, and, and kick myself all day for it being bad or not getting the workout in. So there is that piece, right? Do my best to get the big three to set myself up. But sometimes life happens anyway. And then kind of keeping that in perspective. The other thing that really stood out is, um, as you guys were speaking, is that all three of us have mentioned intentional movement is one of our big three, right? And that will often come up for people in the health and fitness industry. It doesn't necessarily come up for clients, right? So when we talk about, you know, making time for movement and exercise and sort of, you know, make it happen for the three of us here, it's going to be significantly easier than for somebody for whom movement doesn't come up as the big three, it right? Might be because- coffee, right? yeah so we will crave it naturally where somebody else might not right like so i think that's that's the big one so when we start talking about managing stress when things get like dark and difficult um like where are you at with your big three because before too long you just notice that the big things like the big rocks right like not a new concept they start to slip and everything else like it's all better off until you start consistently hitting the big three again. Now, once we get there, once we start like, yes, 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 I'm doing, you know, my movement, I'm doing my, my reading, my time with the family. And it's still sort of not enough, right? Because 2020, because, you know, I just launched uh, a group of clients where the very theme is the fact like winter support, right? Like mood dips in the winter and things are just more difficult during that season. I kind of call it like the kitchen sink support, right? Like, so there is the big three and then there's also let's throw everything at it now. Right. Like what is that additional stuff we can do? Right. So the example that I've used um, with my clients. So I suffer from seasonal depression. It's kind of like an annual cycle where October, November comes. Right. And just my mood starts to dip. What's interesting this year is that many people are experiencing this mood dip for the first time. Right. Like I'm over here like, oh, yeah, here we go. The winter thing. Great. Mm-hmm. Just, it's, just it's, come to yeah. Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but see, that's the thing. Like, then it's just, it it seems like too easy of a solution to a problem, right? Yeah. Besides, you guys have a couple of other problems going on that. We do. Uh, So there's that. Um, So, yeah, like, what else is there that we can intentionally throw at a problem? So we kind of like work out. Uh, a plan of action, so to speak, right? Like, so for me, and it might seem small, but in the winter specifically, I stuff my living space with plants and flowers, like cut flowers. So it becomes like, you know, the greenery, right? Or I have like a happy playlist. It's a playlist of, of songs that make me feel happy. And it's like a thing that I have on my phone. I can like tap into that. So in terms of coaching, it's really helping each client build that toolbox, right? Like build their plan. So it becomes like, you know, if my tire goes flat, I do this. If my mood goes flat, I do this rather than like, well, my mood is flat. (laughs) Now what? And I'm just going to sit here, right? Because if you don't have, there is, it's very difficult to come up with a plan once you're there already. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you off the bat, like everything you said, I love this because, you know, it's something like me and Josh talking about all the time, you know, control what you can't control. Don't control the uncontrollable. 
you know, and it's just like off the bat, it's easy to try to freak out and navigate towards what we can't control that maybe we were so used used to because we had that routine going where we had, you know, in our sense, the big threes. Um, and now out of nowhere, it's something happens. Something got something came in our way and stopped it, you know, and then it's like, what do I do now? What do I do now? And I think that's what happens. A lot of people don't have an answer to how to respond to that situation. And I really love how you said it's having that tool or having something in place. Okay. Now I know I can do this, this happened. Okay. I'm going to go to this, you know? And I think when, as coaches and, and as clients, you know, when you have these tools to play with and when you have these tools to use is when you can start seeing how you can manage your your mood, you can manage, um, you know, any stressors, you can manage your triggers. And that's when I think you see the ease of things start, you know, the anxiety go down, you know, the relaxation kick in. We're like, ah, oh, I don't have to worry anymore. And one thing is, I, I say it all the time, I call it flipping the switch. You know, it's just like, you have something there that as you learn to use it, you get better, you get faster and it just becomes second nature. Now you already know like, okay, this happened. I know how to respond to it. And even if something puts a stop to that, I have something else to put in place of that. And it's just like, I feel like as you, as you see, even with, you know, you go to some high performers and they learn how to instill this in themselves really quickly. And that's why you see that they're able to go throughout their day, even if the obstacles get thrown at them and they're able to continue moving on. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I, I think too, that part of it is like us being in the health and wellness space, like we're, we're used to facing adversity, right? We're used to like coming up with challenges for, for us to, you know, embark on and, and try to face. And we're used to hardship and we're used to failure and we're used to all this stuff. But for a lot of people, especially in corporate America, like it's, it's, it's a, the way that they think about things is it's just very streamlined. Like, okay, I do this job for two years and then I move on to this position and I do these tasks at this job and then I'll get this promotion or this bonus and then I can move up. And And it doesn't really work like that for us, right? Like our field is, there's so many ups and downs. It's not, it's, there's no one true linear path to success in health and wellness. So across the board, we're used to failure. We're used to having to really look at struggle in the face and come up with a plan to, to overcome it. Whereas I feel like a lot of people are just hand, like, okay, here is the blueprint, right? So how do you go about with your clients and the people you work with and even the coaches that you work with to help their clients understand like the plan is important, right? Because life is so chaotic and shit does come up where we get thrown a wrench and, and we can't figure things out necessarily as well as we need to. So we need to have those fallback plans. How do you, how do you get people to understand that those are so important and, and how do you help them develop one that works best for them? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> it's funny. I, I don't know if I agree 100% with the us and they split, right? Because there is the, uh, in fact, the interesting thing I see sometimes in a health and wellness industry, um, there, there can be a bit of a disconnect between coach and client, because here's a very typical scenario. You have um, a strength coach or a personal trainer uh, who's uh, a guy in his 20s, right? Very typical scenario. Uh, who's a typical client? A woman in her 40s or 50s. Right. Like, so who might be working at the corporate job that you've described, right, that is actually high stress and all the things. So when we talk about things like weight loss, uh, losing fat, gaining muscle, the, you know, 25 year old Brian, who's a strength coach, is actually not really used to 
failing because right. he just eats chicken and then he does push up, <laughs> right? And then he does squats and then he get he has muscles, right? Mm. And then you have Melissa who is, you know, 49, who's perimenopausal, who has hot flashes during the night and sort of, you know, two kids, one is a teenager with ADHD. So it's just like very different life experiences. In fact, Melissa might be sort of feel like she's been failing over and over again at this fat loss thing, right? So I think a big piece there is in bringing those two together. So I talk about empathy quite a bit, right? Like how do we understand each other? How do we not have Brian, you know, just tell Melissa, just do it, Melissa, like just make time, right? Like if you want it, um, and rather like, where do they meet, right? Like, because I bet you said like, how do we get them to understand? The big thing is finding those parallels because any Melissa out there actually has had a lot of success. It just might not have been in the weight loss realm, mm. right? Like weight loss might be the one place where she feels like she's failing again and again, but she's a super successful HR executive in a large firm with 27 people reporting to her, right? And sometimes just finding the successes elsewhere and being able to build on them is really key, right? Because what that does, it helps her shift her own perspective about herself because then she can go from, well, I just tried this thing and I fail and I tried this thing and you, and I fail. And instead we say, well, hold on a second. Didn't you say that you have 27 people reporting to you and you just like pulled off this like super hard project last week? Yeah. How did you do that? And just listen. And if we let her, Melissa will tell us about all the things she had to do and all the behaviors she had to practice and all the habits that led her there. And it's very important to have her say those things with her own mouth, right? Because it's sort of like listening to herself speak is probably the best way to get anyone to understand anything, right? Like I you know I've taught people for years. I've, I've talked at them for hours and still I have not found anything sink as well as when the person actually says it out themselves. So then from the coaching perspective, a coaching conversation becomes a little bit of this like mastermind manipulation where it's like, how do I get them to say the thing? Mm -hmm. Because saying the thing is super powerful. How do you get the client to say, you know, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I really want to try this, right? It's not like you should really try it. Why don't you try this? No, no, the client themselves is saying it because that it's when they say it, I know they'll probably do it. Who cares if I say it? I say lots of things. Yeah. No, it's it's funny that you brought that up because I, I've always kind of referred to it as like mind fucking people back into like a corner where they they can't really escape. My you know my friends, for example, um, from college when they come down, they'll want to do one thing. I'm like, nah, that's lame. Like, we're not going to do that. We need you know we should do this. You guys are gonna have more fun. And and eventually, I always convince them to getting around to it. And they're like, how are you so good at this? I'm like, listen, man, this is what I do for a living. Like, all I do is get people to do what I think. Or what they already know they need to be doing, you know, like that's, that's the whole, the whole Gosh, job. With, 
great power comes responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it works out in their favor, in my favor, and so sometimes it, it doesn't. But you know, we always have a good time. But I, I'm I'm glad that you you know you you brought that up because I think for a lot of coaches, we talk about it all the time with our own personal stories. Is like we we both grew up as like very very chubby, overweight kids. You know, I personally was not very popular in school. So when my clients come up to me and tell me how uncomfortable it can be at times, like how they feel in their skin. It's easy for me to relate and, and to draw those parallels because I didn't feel comfortable in my skin. And it took a long time, uh, really up until the past couple of years where mentally I felt like I was in a position where I could physically succeed, you know, at whatever, whatever opportunity I wanted to partake in. Um, and it, it is different. It, it's, we work with really high achievers here in, in uh, their own realm of business. Right. And it's funny. It's funny that you brought that up because I have the same conversation with people all the time where I'm like, you guys are bosses in your field, you know, but you say that you can't, you don't have the tools or or you don't have the uh, ability to be able to accomplish these health goals. It's like, just like you said, we got to break it down and, and really come up with some sort of understanding about, you know, the power and the ability that you truly have inside of yourself. If you just took five seconds to, to think about what's really going on in your life instead of again, right? Like thinking about the elephant as a whole, like, Oh my God, I have to swallow this whole thing. No, you don't, you know, just like with your career, you didn't become the boss of your own business or the CEO of the company overnight, you losing a hundred pounds or, you know, having to come up and understand what food items are good for your, your GI tract problems. Like those things take time, right? Like none of us, like our, my, my mom didn't teach me that like, okay, well, you know, you have a milk and you have a lactose intolerance. So like, you know, maybe avoid like these foods that you didn't even know had milk in them. Mom was like mac and cheese and this, and you know, she, she was busy. So it took me a long time to figure out the things that, you know, were good for my body, which again, might not be what's good for your body or good for him. And I think what um, what kind of comes up too as we talk about it is general assumptions that we often make, right? Because like so, um, as a, as a person, and I can't separate me as a person from me as a coach. I'm a rebel. I'm a rule breaker. I'm a contrarian. I'm the devil's advocate. I will always push against any wall in front of me, right? And I think that that tends to make me really good at certain things and really bad at others. Uh, I try to avoid the things I'm bad at and focus on the things I'm good at. But one of the things I'm really good at is questioning those assumptions and helping people question their own assumptions. And that can be very powerful, right? Because I said, I'm the queen of pathetic goals, but I'm also the queen of loopholes, right? And finding a way to do anything. So even as we were speaking of like, Hey, don't try and control the uncontrollable. Right. But, uh, I'll be over here having a conversation around like, well, how uncontrollable is it really? Mm-hmm. Right. Like what are the aspects of the uncontrollable that we can actually control? Cause think of like, you know, you guys are in Miami. It's a big city. Like think of a nine to five traffic. You go to work for nine o'clock. It's traffic, right? You leave at five. It's traffic. That's uncontrollable. So it, it's, it's a predictable problem on a daily basis, Monday to Friday. You can like, you know, drive yourself nuts by being angry about it, but it is uncontrollable. Now, can you maybe shift your work schedule and work six to two? You, you're not affecting the traffic itself, but you're actually 
kind of thinking outside the box and thinking like, okay, but how do I, how, how do I find that loophole? Do I go even further and find a job, a career that doesn't require me to travel somewhere nine to five or be in the office? Right? I remember years ago, I said I would never work somewhere that didn't allow me to have a tattoo. It was like love my, it. I love my it. filter for the employer. <laughs> but see, like Josh, here's the funny thing. You ready? I don't have a single tattoo on my body. Really? I don't, right? Like, so it's just, but it's, it's, it's just a filter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the kind of like, I would never be at home at a place that, right? right. Like, so yeah. because that just signals a certain thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine works in a very conservative environment. She has tattoos that she always has to cover up with long sleeves, like great example. Right. So we kind of talk about like, okay, so this thing is impossible. How impossible is it? What aspects of the impossible are actually kind of a little bit maybe possible. And we do that in coaching all the time where we have a client comes in and say, well, I can't do box jumps, right? Like box jumps are scary for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, that's cool. Uh, how about, yes, can you jump on this book? Right? Well, yeah, sure. Pathetic. We're back to pathetic goals, right? Here, go ahead, jump on this book. Can you jump on two books? Because eventually you find that like tiny threshold that becomes just a little bit scary, but not like intimidating, just a little bit scary. And we keep building on that. Yeah, well, and you know, perception really can become reality. I mean, we were talking about, you know, the I mean, the box jumps is a great example, right? It's like that, you know, six inch or 12 inch box seems like a, a mountain to some people, right? Other people, it just seems like a molehill. Um, and you brought up the tattoo thing. I have people all the time, my clients included that are like, oh, you shouldn't get, I'm like, oh, I want to get more tattoos. Or when I was building up my sleeve, oh, you should, you got to stop because you're never going to be, you know, if you ever want to leave this and go into corporate America, like you're never going to be able to find a job. It's like, really? Nobody in every corporation that's in America is not going to hire me solely based on the fact that they might be able to see a sliver of this line on the day I, you know, my, my sleeve like pops up a little bit. It's like your perception isn't my reality. Like when I interact with people, they see my tattoos. Most people don't even think anything. They don't sit there and go, Oh, well, he's probably like a, you know, a racist biker, you know, uneducated. They don't think that at all. You know, it's like, I've never had someone come, never had someone come up to me and be like, you know, I, I don't think I can trust you because of your tattoos. Like, you know, my, my character speaks a lot louder than that, but people, my clients will be like, oh, you'll never be, you know, like you're going to hurt your reputation. It's like, no, I don't necessarily think that's the case. It's my reality, right? So the way you're perceiving things may not necessarily be what actually occurs in my life. And I think that that, you know, can be extrapolated into the health and wellness field and in particular nutrition, right? It's like people really don't know what's going on in, in another person's life. So when you try to give them specific advice and, you know, everyone loves to give nutritional advice. Everybody loves to give nutritional advice. It's like, you don't know what that person's going through in their life. So that advice that you're giving them might not necessarily be uh, appropriate for the step that they need to take in their life in that current moment. Yeah. And I think that actually brings up something interesting because you talked earlier about kind of like, you know, knowing where the clients are at based on certain experiences we might've had ourselves. Right. And on one hand, coaches are sometimes intimidated 
um, to work with clients who have experiences they themselves don't have. Like, so maybe, you know, a young guy who's 19 or 21 working with somebody who has four children he's like, well, what do I know? Right. Like, I, I don't know what it's like to not sleep through the night or working with somebody who's struggling with addiction or somebody who wants to lose hundred pounds and you've never been overweight in your life. Like that, that can be an intimidating uh, gap, right? Like what, how can I possibly relate to them? Um, and I actually find that the more opposite is often true where we sort of over identify sometimes with clients who seem to have like same experiences as us because we're like so excited that we can relate to them, right? Like it's, it's a very human thing. It's like, oh yeah, like me too, like my experience. And yet my experience of something tells me very little about your experience with that same thing. It's like learning like, oh, like you've been divorced. Yeah, I've been divorced too. Let me tell you all about it. Like this is how it's like fed you know, I could have had a super ugly divorce and your divorce is very amicable and your best friend. So how much do I really know about an experience of being divorced? And I find that uh, is true when we talk about things like body image or weight loss, right? Or um, another big one is eating disorders where somebody's like, oh, like I'm, I struggle with disordered eating. Uh, many coaches have oh, yeah. gone through mm-hmm. their own struggles, right? Like that's a big one. But I think that's a really easy one to jump to conclusions a little bit, right? Like where it's like, oh yeah, I know exactly what it's like. Meanwhile, meanwhile, do I really? And I think that can kind of prevent us almost from learning more about that client. So um, I often use the sentence like, hey, like I know when people say like, oh, um, I find myself binging in the evening. And I would say something along the lines. I was like, oh, okay. Like I hear that. I, I actually used to binge in the evenings as well. I know what that used to look like for me. What does that look like for you? And the answer you might get might surprise you because you're like, you, you listen to them. You're like, Oh yeah, that's not at all. And that is not <laughs> yeah. at all what, what my experience was like. Right. And I just saved myself mm-hmm. from jumping to that conclusion. Right? right. And similar Josh to what you were speaking to earlier, like growing up in a body that maybe you weren't comfortable with. Right. Cause I think many people can relate to body image struggles yet. I know I have some clients and friends who live in larger bodies and have always lived in larger bodies and I remember kind of like thinking like, like, I know what it's like to not feel comfortable in my skin. I've been there. Yet when they share their experiences with me, I go, no, no, I've never, I've never had people come up to me in a grocery store, look at what's my shopping cart and call me a fat pig. That has never occurred to me once. And it doesn't matter if I buy three carts of ice cream, right? Or kale, like it's actually doesn't matter what I purchase. I've never been criticized for my food choices at a food court, right? Or at a restaurant, like I live in a straight sized body and that comes with a privilege of, with a privilege of being able to eat or purchase whatever the hell I want and not be criticized for that choice. So once again, it's sort of like, I know what it's like, but then not at all. Yeah. No, we joke about it all the time. Is like when we go to d- dinner with our clients, like you're going to have dessert. It's like, I'm oh, going to, yeah. now I'm going to have two fucking desserts. <laughs> like, because you sit, because you're sitting here saying like, because I am who I am, I can't do the same things you do. It's like, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily work like that. I have a, I have a, a question. Cause this an, always annoys the shit out of me. Um, this might kind of be a little off. Actually, I'm pretty sure it's really off topic, but 
every time I go any anytime I anytime I go anywhere, uh, people when anytime they find out that like oh I work in health and fitness, they're like oh well let me tell you exactly about like what I eat on oh I eat pretty healthy. I'm like the only thing I'm thinking in the back of my head is like listen I couldn't give a shit about what you're eating when I'm at a bar or I'm at a restaurant. Like what? Why is it? It's always baffled me. Like, why is it that when people find out, I'm sure you've had it a hundred thousand times. Like when people find out that you are supposed to be this like Uber healthy individual that they need to like prove to you their healthiness. It's like, I don't care. I don't care at all. You know, like I'm, if you want to hire me, then I'll, you know, I'll care, but we're eating. Cause like, they forget that we're human. Yeah. You know, like, do you have those experiences? And if, if you do, like, why do you think that people uh, are like so uh, adamant about telling you like, Oh no, no, no. But I, I do the healthy thing. I do the healthy stuff too. Well, before I go there, I actually want to know how you react. Like, how do you respond to those people? Uh, I mean, it depends on the person, people who are just like trying to jam it down my face. I'm just like, listen, like now's, now's, you know, we're not in the time or place to be able, if you want to do that, then we can set something up. I'd be more than happy to talk to you. If they're just being nice about it and trying to like learn more about me and stuff, then I'll, I'll go along with it to a certain extent and then try to just like fade them out with my lack of interest over time, you know, hopefully they get it. If they don't, then I'll, I'll walk away. But, you know, I try to be as nice, as nice as possible as I can. I think every, anytime like we're out and about, like it's always, it's kind of our business card to, to go out and, and, you know, interact with people and find out about them and see what they're doing through their day. So try to take it as, as best as I can. But sometimes it's just like, you know, go eat Subway. If you want to eat Subway, like, I don't, I don't care. Like I want to be with my friends and enjoy the night, you know, Anthony, what about you? How do you react? So how do I react? I'm just, I'm even cute. I'm just like, I'll talk. I'm, I'm a huge, so I'm a huge talker in the first place. So, and I'm not. <laughs> so I just, you like, don't give them an opportunity to say anything. You just keep talking. <laughs> so I'm, like I said, I, I just love networking. So off the bat, like, even if somebody says it, I'll turn it around and I'll, I'll laugh about it. I'll laugh about it. Or if somebody's like, Oh my God, like, you know, uh, he'll I make the person walk away. They, you won't need to. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be funny because I'm They'll be like, oh, OK, Anthony, I think I got uh, I think I got something I got to go do. Someone's over there calling my name. I need to. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm the time I'm just like I make the best of every situation. That's just how I am. I just try to see how I can make the best of it. You know, whether I can turn and make it laugh about it, you know, then we get into a different topic or like Josh said, if it's somebody who's really like you know, wanting to ask questions and stuff like that. And they want to know more, you know, I'll talk to them a little bit about it. And then, you know, obviously, you know, try to set it up for a more professional setting and, you know, where we can actually have more of a, of a, of a time to be able to dive deeper into things. But even then I do feel like, like some, somebody will say like, Oh, it's more professional if you continue that convo somewhere else, which yes. But at the same time, I feel like them feeling, them feeling like they can talk to you there kind of breaks the ice for you to be able to help them later on because that's kind of like that safe space where they're like, wow, like my berries are down. It's not like, oh, I'm like in this doctor room where, you know, now they're going to crunch these questions on me. So I allow them to talk to me there and share me that information because I know they're going to pour more out there and they're going to be more probably less resistant um, than if I have them in front of like in a, like you can in an office or a doctor's room considered. Um even though you still want to move them over to a different setting like that, but that's how I, that's how I approach it, you know? So I kind of just feel it out, see where it is and then, um, you know, roll with it. Yeah. I think to me, and and again, this is like a very personal, just how I work thing. Uh, to me, the separation between personal and professional is a bit contrived. Mm -hmm. Um, it's too much work. 
for me, right? Like I, I don't work for the CIA. So <laughs> I don't, like, I really don't need to keep the work and life separate. I'm just one person, right? And I like what I do and I'm happy to talk about it if I want to talk about it, but I'm also human. So I reserve right. the right to not want to talk about shit, right? And I reserve the right to be annoyed if you come to me in the middle of my set at a gym and start asking, you know, what yeah. exactly I do and how I eat to get biceps like mine. And I usually say, you know, I tend to not interrupt people when they work out for one, right? Because I focus on my workout. But Amen. To, There's to a time and place for everything. <laughs> right. Uh, I think to your earlier question, it's sort of, you know, <laughs> I'll be honest in some social uh, situations, I just don't talk about what I do. Right. Like yeah. if I am not in the mood, uh, then I won't set people up. Mm. Right. Because it's sort of like by volunteering what I do, I'm opening the pathway to the conversation. Right. So and I know for some of my friends, their favorite activity is like to observe a stranger, observe, like come up to me at the gym and start asking me questions about keto without. <laughs> right. Like it's just it's kind of hilarious. I think they enjoy the interaction. Do, do you, do you think they sometimes set it up on purpose? Just oh, my play, friends. Just definitely. My friends definitely do. <laughs> My friend, my friend, we'll be in like a group and my friends will be like, man, you look like you work out, Josh. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Like what, yeah, man? I, I thought, I thought I was just helping you get a lead. Like, nah, man, not, not. Uh, with great power comes great responsibility. And I'll be honest, you know, coaching comes with perks. Um, and one of the perks, and I use that perk quite a lot, is that I'm very good at asking questions. And I'm very good at asking hard questions. And I'm very good at asking uncomfortable questions, people that tend to not usually ask. So if somebody learns that I work in health and nutrition, and they start telling me about, you know, sort of their diet and weight loss efforts and whatever, um, and I sort of in the place to go there, I might ask them straight up, I say, so I'm just curious, why do you think you feel the need to tell me this? And wait. That conversation tends to end very quickly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right? Because it is kind of an awkward place, right? Uh, but again, a Great question, though. Yeah. It's a great question to ask. It's a valid question, right? Because, like, you know, usually we just met. Right. Right? Like, so, and if I were to tell you that I'm an accountant, chances are you wouldn't pull out your, you know, tax returns. <laughs> yeah. Can you see where I can deduct a couple more? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, well, gee, I filed my taxes on time this year. And you kind of go, okay, okay. that's, that's great. Congrats. <laughs> but I think just kind of on a maybe more human level, or perhaps when I'm in a better mood in a better year, um, <laughs> you sort of like look at it as like, why do people do that? And mostly it's because health is different from accounting. Health is different from finances or education or, you know, car repairs. It's different because it's incredibly personal, right? And it's incredibly important to people. And very often people don't feel secure. They don't feel safe. They don't feel certain in what they're doing. So at the end of the day, they're just seeking reassurance, yep. right? Like, yeah. Validation. So, 100%. And there, there are certain, you know, there are, there are a couple of phrases that I hold on to for dear life. And sometimes that sometimes they're harder to utter than different days, right? And so it's like, well, you no, know, what I just started, you work in nutrition, 
So what I started doing, I only eat white foods. That's all I eat. So it has to be white. Doesn't matter what works really well for me or just insert whatever latest crazy diet, right? Like it doesn't matter what it is. And I say, this is my, you know, you're welcome to steal it. I'm so happy you found a way of eating that works for you. It's a great response. Yep. Repeat, rinse and repeat, right? Like, I'm so happy you found a way of eating that works for you. I don't volunteer my opinion on how they're eating, nor is it really required, right? Like it's uh, most of the time they're not really asking for my opinion. They're asking for reassurance and I'm happy to reassure, right? Like who am I to tell them whether what they're eating is right or wrong? They're an adult, right? It's more like, Hey, that sounds great, dude. Like you've been experimenting and you found this way and it seems yep. to be working. You're doing something. High five. Yeah. Kate, I, 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 but I was going to definitely, I wanted to, before, you know, wrapping things up, I wanted to ask you something um, for those coaches who, you know, have a significant other. I want to get your take on how do you approach. You really want to ask this question? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you approach when it's with you and your husband? When not to use your coaching and when to use your coaching? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I think it's not just, uh, it's not just my husband. I think it's just kind of people in my life mm-hmm. in general, because um, I think I'm very, so at the beginning, it feels like, like when we're just starting out coaching, we're learning all this awesome <laughs> techniques, right? Like all these tools. We talk about and, it all the time. <laughs> right. The manipulation of the mind, right? And you kind of like start using it on people in your life. Um, but it is very often like there's that shift because we go like the way we talk with clients um, where we start out very often by sort of telling people what to do right? Like you should do this. And why didn't you try that? And then uh, more often than not, we learn that telling people what to do actually doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. It tends to work much better if you help people brainstorm their own solutions and arrive at that conclusion on their own, right? So you kind of go from talking to your clients like friends to talking like to your clients like clients, right? Like I am here in a role of a coach. I'm not here in a role of an expert, like expert knows what to do, tells you what to do, how to do it. I am here to guide you, to mentor you. And I feel like sometimes like if you do this long enough, and I'm sure you two have found that too, you sometimes get stuck in the coaching mode. Like, right. It's like, there is that little shifter, right? Like the gear just gets stuck and you're now in a coaching mode at home with your kids or with your spouse or with your friend. And they kind of go like, mom, don't do the coaching thing on me, right? Because that shit doesn't off. work on me. <laughs> <They're> That's like, <laughs> right, right? Like, so, and it's like before when I used to teach, I, I would be, you know, accused of using my professor voice, uh, which <laughs> tends to happen when you hit on a topic you're really interested in and passionate and you kind of slip yep. into the lecturing yep. mode, right? Like, you're just so excited. So, the same thing happens with coaching mode, where I almost have to be cognizant to stay in my lane when it comes with my loved ones, with, with my friends, with my family, with my spouse, whereas like here I'm a spouse. I don't, I'm not a coach. I'm a friend. Like if I'm your friend, I don't need to guide you through. And why do you think I say like, no, dude, that shit's dumb. Don't do it. Right. Yep. Like it's, 
because I'm your friend right now, right? Like I, I'm not your coach. It's not my responsibility. As your friend, I can have an opinion and I can tell you what to do, right? And I can disagree. I'm not here to guide you to some <laughs> sort of a right decision. Um, so, and I think some of it, I, I that is a bit of a universal position for me in terms of like coaching versus not coaching. Uh, so where I think that, overlaps a bit is even with my clients, I try very hard to be not too invested in the outcome, right? Like when people come to me and they tell me about wanting to change in a certain way, I try to be very clear both for myself and with them that I don't need them to change. I don't want them to change. I accept them the way they are in that moment, right? Like it's like, no, Josh sitting here, I think he's pretty awesome just the way he is. He doesn't need to work, get up tomorrow and eat chicken for all I care, right? Like he, he's fine and so are you, Anthony. So I think it's that like unconditional positive regard that we talk about um, in counseling and positive psychology. That's a really helpful baseline, right? It's sort of like, if you want to lose weight, great. You're not doing it for me. I'm not invested in whether you're going to lose weight or not. I just want to help you get where you want to go. Um, And I think with friends and family, it has to be taken to even kind of like up a couple of notches, right? It's like, this is your life. So, you know, if I love somebody who's a smoker, it's their choice to smoke and it's my choice to have them in my life. Right. Right. So, uh, they probably know that smoking is not great for them. It's not my job to make them quit. If they will want to quit, they will seek out help. Hell, I can refer them to a coach if they would like to, right? But I have to make peace with the fact that they will make choices about their body, about their life, about their health that I might not like, I might not enjoy. And unfortunately, sometimes that means that these people will leave prematurely, leave this world. They will die prematurely because of the things that they're not currently doing. And that has to be okay. And I think that's the big um, assumption that I've sort of mentioned in the health and fitness industry. I don't think this is talked about nearly enough. We often share this thing in the health and fitness industry. We think health is important and it's taken as a given. I don't think it is. Not all people value health. And I think they should be in their full right not to care about health, right? Like if you want to drink three bourbons at seven in the morning, smoke cigars and write brilliant poetry and die at 40. Honestly, that's your prerogative. I'll be very sad because I would have really liked for you to be writing your brilliant poetry for another 25, 30, 40 years. But that's not my body, right? Like, it's not my choice to make. So I think that separation between, you know, don't control the uncontrollable. I can't control what my mother eats, I think is very important there. Yeah, I love love that you said that. I'm sorry for cutting off, Josh. I think it's one of those things. It's where, like... It's like for somebody themselves, if they're happy with that, let it be. And that's their option. They could pay the consequences like the football player. Hey, you know that if you're going to play football, you might get a severe injury or concussions or you might get, you know, PTSD down the road. And now that's what you're going to, you know, why are you going to try to go sue the, the, the league 
for no, you know, not helping the players, you know, with these problems. Well, you got yourself in the first place. You you knew you were getting yourself into this, so that's what you're gonna deal with, you know. So if you if now if you're happy within, you're okay. Okay, great, playing. That's you're happy. So who cares, you know? But I think it's one of those things as well. as like as a person, it's like. Now, if you hear yourself complaining over and over again, then that probably tells you you have to do something, you know, and that's where you can go seek the help. And then, you know, like I tell me and Josh say it all the time, it's like I tell my clients, like, even then, I'm not here to control what you do. I'm just here to be the GPS to your car, you know, and you're <laughs> steering the wheel, you know. So, you know, I really appreciate you talked about uh, about this because I, I definitely know for a fact a lot of coaches, clients, you know, people listening are going to be able to uh, get a lot of value out of that. Yeah. And I think uh, kind of what you said, right. It's um, if you hear yourself complaining over and over, you got to do something about it unless, unless you actually like complaining. Unless you actually like complaining. Truly, yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And then some people oh, are in it. We all have those people. Yeah. And that might be a really hard uh, realization. It might be a really hard um, sort of thing to, to come to accept, but it's one of those like, Hey, I, I keep bitching about it, but at the end of the day, I just, you know, maybe I just kind of like complaining about this thing, right. Rather than, and, and that's where like not being invested in the actual outcome as a coach can be helpful because if you have a client who constantly complaining about, you know, this thing or that thing, but they're not doing anything to change it, there's no reason for you to be frustrated. Like they're, they're telling you everything you need to know. I'm they're gonna, telling I'm gonna you call that. Them, I'm going to call them happy complainers. They're, they're fine. <laughs> they're content complaining, right? Let them like, why are you getting worked up about them complaining? They're complaining. It would be very unfortunate if they were, you know, affecting something in your life, but they're probably mm-hmm. not. Right. So right. let them. Yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, our role as coaches is to, you know, help people clearly define exactly it is what they want in life and, and what that looks like, and then just help them figure out the plan to get there, whatever that may be, right? Without our biases. Or- Some of the most successful coaching interactions by my mark have resulted in zero weight loss, weight gain, muscles, six packs, because where we landed was I thought I wanted this thing, but I don't really want it that much. Amazing. You're welcome. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Money well spent. Were, yeah. Like, go on. Right. Like mm. high fives for everybody. So, and I think it's, it's nice to see it that way too. Like mm. your role is to help people get clarity, the clarity on the what and the clarity on the why. And if people are super clear, you don't really need to create motivation out of thin air because they tend to do the rest themselves if the clarity is there. And sometimes the clarity is, I don't want to do anything. Then again, you don't need to do anything either. Yeah. Perfect. I think that this is a a great place to, uh, to wrap everything up. We're a little over an hour now. Kate, yeah. Thank you for coming on and, and, you know, sharing your experiences, sharing your expertise with everyone and, uh, we appreciate you coming on. You're always more than welcome to come back on anytime you want. And, uh, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been a, a pleasure, uh, you know, conversing with you and, and really learning a little more about actually what goes on inside of our heads when we think about nutrition. And I know a lot of people are going to be able to take away a lot from this and be able to utilize it in their own life. I think we landed at somewhere very powerful at the end there. Did you guys hear that? It's like, if you don't want to do anything, don't, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> that was sort of the 
I, it's, it's great, great advice, though. All right, guys, know? now, for those people who still live with their parents, don't be like, you see, mom, I don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to still get yeah, your guess, ass whooped. Yeah, you might, need to get out, you might need to get out of the basement. Watch me to get quoted all the, all the motivational memes for 2020. Oh. Hey, we, we can make some if you want. Right? You know? <laughs> might not be bad. But uh, before we before we finalize, uh, finally wrap everything up, uh, where can people uh, find you? How can they reach out to you? Where, where are the best places for them to, to contact you at? Yeah, so just kind of based on what we talked about, probably two places I would uh, send folks to, like just for anything on um, food and nutrition, uh, precisionnutrition.com. Uh, pretty much any topic you can think of, like eating over the holidays or uh dealing with um, alcohol or fish oil, like pick a topic and nutrition, precision nutrition probably has an article on it. Uh, just for me personally, if you look up my name, um, pr- pretty easy to find. It's my last name.com. So salaviova.com or S-O-L-O-V-I-E-V-A.com will take you to my website and you can just check out my writing. I write a lot about coaching approaches to coaching nutrition and uh, occasional travel when we used to do that. Oh, awesome. Right Amazing. When. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it. We'll definitely have you on in the future because uh, I know that there's so much more we can talk about. Yeah. And if you're ever in Miami, we'd definitely love to have you here live. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. We would yeah. love that. Get, get out of the cold and come to the yeah. sunshine, come to the warm beaches. And then one last That's thing. Awesome. Um, in one sentence, what's the biggest piece of advice you can leave off to all our listeners today? Well, I think we've landed on that one, didn't we? If you don't want to do anything, don't. Yeah. <laughs> you guys heard it. Yeah, it's great. All right, Kate. Thank you so much. Till next time, great. guys. Thank you for listening to Sweat It Out with Anthony Mendez and Josh Evans. Enjoyed this episode? Make sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review.